You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are back with our last week discussing Abir Mukherjee's The Shadows of Men, chapters 44 to the end, all 65 chapters in total, Herds. I had a blast, pun intended, with the end of this book. Yeah, I mean, they did it too. They really, they really gave us an explosive finale, which I did really enjoy. (laughs) Aha, aha, aha! No, no, this is a good one. Can I tell you, as much as I uh, definitely did not, like, I was not swept off my feet by the opening mm-hmm. of this novel, but I definitely think that the final acts, I really started to, or I really came to, you know, appreciate the friendship between Saren yeah, yeah. and Wintem in such a direct way. Mm. I, I teared up a little bit at the end of this novel. I'm not even going to lie. I, I was a little bit shaken. By the way, this novel ends. It's a little sad. Yeah, there are, there are a couple of really touching moments. It's great. Uh, both between and of them thinking about each other. I love it. As we get into, I guess, the aftermath of what goes on here. But the math of what goes on here Uh-oh. is we, we go to a party. It's true. We go to a, well, I mean, one of us goes to a party. Mm-hmm. We n- Now that we've got Seren and Sam together for the, the third section of this story... Sam's like, well, I'll go to the upper class party with the beautiful dame and you, Saren, go root around in this guy's office. That seems like a fair trade. Yeah, he's like, you sure you want to add breaking and entering to my charges? And Sam's like, eh, what difference will it make? It can't get much worse than a (laughs) hanging, can it? Yeah, it it is quite an exciting series of scenes, though, as you slowly but surely realize that they're both going to end up in the same location, running away from the the madman killer of of this novel. But yeah, I think Sam's party that he goes to and the way that he, you know, he's not like a master of deception disguise in this party, but the way that he uses his status as a detective to like, well, flush out his prey and like chat with the people there. It's really Here's the thing I wanted to observe is at this party, he comes in and the first person he introduces himself to, he's like, ah, yes, you know, I'm here with the post office. Yes. The cover story that he's been given. And then he drops it. One drink in, yes, he drops it. It's fantastic. There's like he's like, oh yes, uh, a bit, a bit of liquor and fine women will pull any story out of me. And it's, it's like, so no, you silly. just don't, you just don't care, do you? It's You're so like <laughs> so over. Can it. I tell you, I laughed out loud when Gal Muhammad showed up to the party and he like yes. spits out his drink and runs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> Like, (laughs) he's like, I'll just go to this fancy party where, you know, only one person of import is. I'm sure nothing untoward will happen here. Yeah. And the second he sees Gamaha, he's like, oh, no, I am in so much trouble. I nearly threw that guy off a cliff earlier today. I can't be seen here. (laughs) I can't be seen here with him. The best part is, though, that our main suspect at that point, Cyrus Arani, also turns tail. He has the same. And heads straight into the waiting jaws of Surrender Knot, Mm -hmm. who is uh, currently looking into the Taj hotel room that he's staying in. It's very good. It's a very, like, as I was reading, I was like, oh, no, they're all going to end up in the same place. This is a little contrived. But truthfully, I I think it was... The least contrived, contrived method of getting them all yes. in the same room, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, it was fantastic. Like, <laughs> although it was, it was a bit like it was a bit weird when Seren gets caught. Sam runs into him. They both run yes. off. Cyrus comes yes. chasing after him, and then Cyrus catches them, sees Sam, and he's like, "Oh, what are you doing here, detective?" Well, and Sam's like, "I'm just checking on the case." <laughs> and there's this pause, and they both kind of look at each other and. Just walk in opposite directions. Like, they both know they're lying. Yeah. Well, let's point out, though, it's not just that he, like, 
they, they meet in a dark alleyway. Sam figures the best way to slow down this, this big old Armenian bloke is to just walk into him. And it works. It's so klutzy and I love uh, it. <laughs> which is kind of beautiful. I did want to I did want to go just like a little bit artsy with you here. Always. I did enjoy the description when Saren is breaking and entering sure. into the two locations. The first is Cyrus's office, the second is the hotel room. You know, in the office, it's like, ah, well, you know, I couldn't find anything. But the thing that I noticed is that I there wasn't anything to find. Like, there's no documents. All of the stuff that you would expect to be in a businessman's office just isn't yes, here. Yes. And then when you go to the hotel room, he's talking about how it is, like, polished and absolutely pristine. There's not a speck of dust anywhere. But under the bed, yes. there's one little track where there is dust. And that's how he manages to find the folder with the details of the plan that's yet to come, which we'll get into in a second. I I just kind of liked that as being like analogous to the way that the British would have presented India. Sure. That like everything is spotless and pretty, but if you check under the bed. It's right there. Yeah. I mean, I like that that folder would not have seen out of place in the office, but it's like you find an element of the office, the element that is distinctly missing Mm. in the bedroom just like exactly right there i think it's very cleverly done it's it's yeah. a little silly but i enjoyed thinking of shall it shall we get into the actual plot like what actually goes down well absolutely we find out with the help of uh miss miss cola that uh that there are all these flyers inside this folder that are kind of grabbed and and brought home and in the moment i was like why would you even bring the flyers the flyers aren't that important what's important is like the coded message clearly mm-hmm. but she looks at these flyers and they say Get ready, Muslim comrades. We we are going to avenge the the martyrs of this horrible thing that happened. Like what what thing? Nothing's happened. Well, that's what's so clever about it. I think they explain that because the, the plot is to destabilize the relationships between the the Muslims and the Hindus by funneling money to both sides and then blowing yep. up their leaders and make it look like the other person did it, so the British can mm-hmm. ju- justify putting more military presence in in India. That's basically the plot in a nutshell. And it is the diversity, essentially, of the Indian people. There are so many subcultures. He tries to fit into this niche of culture that they don't really expect to run into. They don't expect the Parsis to really play a role in the story. The, the British don't. Yeah. Which I, I actually think is a really, a really cool way of tackling the solution to this story. One of the interesting details of the novel is that at the start of it, there's a bit of like time jumping between Sam yes. and Seren and seeing their roles in confusion. Yes. But as we get towards the end of the novel, we start to see more cohesion in when one plot beat happens followed by the next right up until the culminating the, in the, the end of chapter 58. Yeah, go for it. Oh my goodness. I need to tell you, I sent, I sent flex exactly one note the entire time I was reading the last third. And it was that the transition between chapter, I believe it was chapter 58 and 59 was incredibly slick. Yeah. And that is the moment where Sam throws a gun to Seren. And at the beginning of chapter 59, I caught the revolver. Yes. It's beautiful. It's it's one of the best moments of like one chapter to the next I've ever seen. I loved it so much. Like specifically the idea that I caught Sam's revolver. Yes. You're like, they are working together as it's a so team good. properly for the first oh, time this entire novel. And it pays off directly when that same gun <laughs> was pointed at Sam's face. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's great. I love it so much. 
it's like we've come full circle. It really is. Yeah, that entire scene is is beautiful, um, especially when they hijack that poor person's tugboat because they're like, well, Sam's already- <laughs> Can't this like, thing go any faster? <laughs> like, you should have hijacked the Speedy McGee boat. <laughs> there's a comment of like, you know, we, we've got him at gunpoint. I don't know that you should be making these remarks, but like- the Captains love their boats. They do love their boats. Absolutely. That entire sequence is is fantastic. And it just, it keeps going. Like we have this moment of fun. And then by the time we end the novel, we've seen our characters, Sam and Siren, because the Siren has had to flee to Europe. And we get this really like heartfelt. It's not like, te- they don't like cry or anything, but like, it's so sad. Well, he, they, they, they don't <laughs> cry, but Sam spends the entire time monologuing on how impressed he is that it's, the woman uh, is crying in the scene, which means he is doing everything yeah. he can to not cry. He's, He's just like in wiping denial. his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like th- there's a moment where he, um, like clearly they're both trying to move on with this moment in their own way. Yeah. And so he turns to say goodbye to Siren when they're about to like cross the, the border or, or whatever. And he, he turns to say goodbye and like offer him an umbrella and Seren has already started walking. And obviously it's not because he doesn't care about his friend. He It's because he like doesn't want to have to say the words, at least, you know, if he doesn't have to, that sort of thing. It's it's a really cool, like vulnerable moment for the characters. Well, yeah. I mean, like Orvis Cola, clearly we don't have a full section to spend on this. because We got to talk about the mystery at some point, sadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I did love the scene in the party where Sam comes up yes, and yes. he's basically to Orvis like, oh yeah, you know, you, you need to play hard to get. And we're kind of just seeing Sam's relationships with everyone else yeah. in third person while he's just kind of in denial about how he feels about Annie, how he feels about Seren. It's fantastic. Yeah. And she's like, why would you do that? Stop playing games, dummy. <laughs> so yeah. good. Anyhow, we should wrap that there. <laughs> uh, We're going to jump into the mystery and the complications uh-oh. of this conundrum talk about a little bit later point. in the show. Stick around for that. You're on Death of the Reader. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are back again with Abir Mukherjee as we continue exploring his novel, The Shadows of Men. If you want to hear this full discussion, a long 40 minutes of it, it will be up on Death of the Reader's podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So check up on that. Herds, let's get back into it. (laughs) Abir, speaking of, we're chatting about the, the social issues and how that's such a huge focus of your work. Now, there's a really powerful moment later on in the novel when Sam, he questions his own ethics and, and basically concludes, why bother having any morals when nobody around you does? Why should Sam, especially as a member of the police force, which is very corrupt in India, or this time it's very corrupt in India, and is that a lesson that he can ever really learn given his time in history? It's a good question. You know, why does Sam ask himself that question? I've, I've always been fascinated by this idea of a good man upholding a corrupt system. And when we're mm-hmm. talking about British rule in India, we are talking about something that was thoroughly corrupt. You know, it's always fascinated me that British and American writers tend to set their books in Nazi Germany or communist Russia. I'm a big fan of, you know, the Philip Kerr books, uh, the Bernie Gunther novels by Philip Kerr, um, the Arkady Renko series by Martin Cruz Smith. But what always struck me was, well, why are we not looking at our own history? Why are we not looking at the corruption in our in ourselves? Uh, and the answer is, we didn't. We don't really want to. We don't like shining a mirror on our own past. Um, yeah. You know, I was. Ta- you guys are in Australia. I was talking to an Australian who said, you know, what, what we learnt at school, we learnt about Guy Fawkes 
uh, rather than about our own history. We learn about the bonfire plot and things like that. And I don't, I don't know if you did that, but it's a similar thing. We learn about these instances from 500 years ago in British history, but we don't we don't see the the history of 50 years ago or 60 years ago, things that actually changed things or, or things that matter. We we keep quiet or we brush under the carpet. So why why does Sam ask himself that question? Well, it's, it is the fundamental question that I think a good man or a good person has to ask themselves when they are working for a system or in an environment that is corrupt. At what point do you compromise your morals and on what grounds do you compromise your morals? Um, for him, it's getting the job done is one thing, but he's, he's subscribing to a higher moral purpose, which is the truth. He's gone through the wars, and what's what's got him to that is that I see him as that first generation of modern men. They're the ones who went through the Great War and had their eyes open to the fact that they're betters, the upper classes the English upper classes didn't know any more than they, than anybody else. And this culture of deference was misplaced. Sam's issue is the same thing. He's been sold this lie. He's out there upholding this system, which is built on lies. You know, and you know, to this day, I don't know if either of you have been to Calcutta. No. Um, but Not Calcutta yet. is populated by people who essentially think they were put on this earth to write poetry or paint pictures. So... The whole city will do their day jobs really badly until five o'clock when they will go off to their poetry society or their amateur dramatic group or whatever and partake in cultural activities really badly again for the most part. That's, um, that's the mentality here. Like, here's the thing, a bit. You're, you're talking about romance now, which means you speak in my language. You're in my house now. I could so tell you the romantic up. here, so- Ben. <laughs> Along the way in this novel, Sam and Seren, mostly Seren, are assisted by some very financially powerful women. How does your depiction of Mary Grant, Ravis Kola, and Aisha, the mysterious musician, play into this idea of romance you're talking about? Because I'm learning all the things about Seren. I was like, why is he posing as a poet? Why does he fall in love with women all the time? Why are there so many of these like crazy girl boss, rich women helping them out? I feel like I'm getting my answer. So you, you please explain up on a couple of things. But, but yeah, I mean, Surin, Surin is a product of of that environment where you had this these men who were prone to grand gestures. You have a whole, whole culture, a whole society built on grand gestures and very little progress. And it, and a lot of it stems from texts like Devdas, which you know Surin would have read as a kid or as a as an adolescent. But even to this day, it's the same thing. Um, but this idea of powerful women, you know, you've got, as you say, there's Annie Grant uh, and mm. there's Urvi's Kola. These are the, to be honest, these are the women that I find attractive. It's, it's the intelligent women, the women who are in control of their own lives are women that appeal to me. And they're the ones that I like writing about. So that's, that's why you and me both. I, well, that's it. And I think, I think if you look at Sam and Surin, Sam and Surin are basically reflections of me. They're different sides of my own personality, but they're sort of gormlessness when it comes to matters of the heart, shall we say? Yeah, uh, I guess talking of their dichotomy, by the end of the novel, our iconic duo, duo are in uncertain circumstances. Sam has begun settling into, I, I guess, a bit more of a typical British lifestyle as he's been working with Section H and his partner Seren has fled the country. And with Sam no longer anchoring Seren, 
in the police force, he's allowed to pursue his own adventures in Europe, at, at least until the next book. How has separating this iconic duo for so much of the novel prepared them for a murky future? Surin's position is untenable to him. You know, he, his awakening to the, the, the system that he serves and the way it governs his country is something that was going to happen. Um, the and and his relationship with Sam suffers because of it, but really the the physical distance, the physical separation, is the manifestation of that schism of of Surin realizing he can no longer function in this role of the subaltern. One of the last things I wanted to touch on a beer was we discussed yeah, during water. our no, wait, first. Wait. Let Ben get some water. It's Australia. <laughs> we are No, it's fine. No, I don't need water. We're you sure? I've heard, I've heard yeah. it's very hot. I've read it dry. Okay, I know what it's like, mate. Don't don't feel like you don't need to. Abia, I'm gonna let you know. Look, I'm look at look at that the, poor boy I'm, sweating I'm with his fan at... off behind him. <laughs> it is pretty awful. I'm looking at the document we had to prepare for this. We have one. We have one thing left in the notes, which means there's gonna be like ten more questions. But. According to what we've got here, there's only one more. So I'm good. Don't even worry about me. One of the last things I wanted to touch on, we discussed during our first chat about the novel that Sam and Seren would absolutely be the type of friends to give you a dud grenade with the gunpowder still in it as an office Christmas gift. Uh, should Vasim Khan be concerned? <laughs> Vasim Khan should be concerned full stop, right? That's, That's the terrible. Point. Vasim Khan has a lot of concerns, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, it's water off a duck, but I keep telling him, I text him every day and tell him how you know, how terrible he is. I've got this habit of killing off my my real friends in books. So from book two onwards, I'm just, in the in the acknowledgements, I just apologise to people that I've killed, right? That's pretty good. And I thought, well, it's it's only fair that I do something with a Mukherjee. And, and so I make this the most pompous, arrogant uh, character in the book, Mukherjee. And I, I say he's a prize ass, basically having a go at myself. Um, I also get, I got a complaint a wee while ago from a wee woman who said, you're really horrible to accountants. Why are you so nasty to accountants? My best friend is an accountant. You must have been terribly wronged by an accountant at some point in your life because in every book you either kill accountants or you say horrible things about them. And I had to tell her that I am an accountant. <laughs> I spent 20 <laughs> years of my life being one. And it's just sort of, it's really just humour either aimed at myself or at my friends who are accountants. So um, there's a lot of fun to be had with accountants as well. So uh, you can get away with it. <laughs> I never thought I'd, I'd hear that phrase, but fair enough. Especially from you, uh, professed ben, hater. I'm writing a romantic one for you right now. It's called Love Between the Spreadsheets. Oh, it's uh, beautiful. My romance and accounting. It'll be, it'll be excellent. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Abia, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on Death of the Reader. I hope that we've made up for our sin of uh, having Vasim Khan on first. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about it. You've, you've made right. amends. I, w- I won't put you on the spot with that one. I just wanted to plant hold, the seed in grudges. your head. I hold grudges. Listen, if I die in the next uh, Sam and Seren book, I will understand. Yes, Felix, Felix the eunuch yeah. will die. In the- <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the guy who finds his body and takes all his stuff. <laughs> Can I be that person? Of course. I was like, oh, that, that other eunuch took the dead eunuch stuff. He must <laughs> the be the romantic killer. And one. that could be me. Yeah, the romantic eunuch. The swipey eunuch. We're not even going to get a name. We're going to be a body that they walk past. That's, <laughs> that's what I want. That's what we're going to get. <laughs> I'm a, a small, eunuchs. petty man. What can I say? <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> this is Death of I'm the Reader. Joking, joking, starring roles. Oh, I, I, I mean, I hope so, but I can't expect it. 
This is Death of the Reader. We are discussing Abir Mukherjee's The Shadows of Men. We'll be back with more of that in just a second. Thank you for joining us. Stick around. You've got five minutes that you can salvage from that. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. We are in our last week discussing Abir Mukherjee's The Shadows of Men, Mm. chapters 44 to the end. Herds has been the one in the hot seat. There were four points on the line. How many many points? How many points am I getting? Just laying on me. Well, there's one point for the phones thing because that was never answered and I was just trying to fake you out. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, wait. So I get a point for that? Neither of us deserve that point, but I I figure since I played a cheap shot by asking you a question that wasn't answered, you know, I I can't really withhold it. I mean, to, to to play devil's advocate against myself, they did say, well, it's probably that Irani tapped our phones and then told the police what was going on. You said- that it was it was probably being tapped by the British, which yeah, sure. is essentially you know what? what was happening because Cyrus right. was working. He was for the working. British. The, you know what? Sure, if you want to give me that that technicality, I do want to give I'm, you this I'm, point. I'm happy to. I think it's a ridiculous part of the story. <laughs> anyway, it's great. Uh, yeah, you did pick the killer, so you were definitely going to walk away okay, with three cool. points. I, I would have. Yep. You know what? I'll take I'll take three. I'm happy with that. I'm going to withhold the fourth. That's okay. I, I don't think I deserve the fourth. I didn't pick the British. It's a difficult so. one because obviously this is a thriller novel and we cannot expect the same fair play nature that we normally crave yeah, it's fine. here on this show. But man, why why couldn't the military guy who was instructing Cyrus Arani have been Major Boyle. Who, what know. does McRae have to do I with it? I thought it was going to be Major Is Boyle. Is McRae going to be a character in a future novel? We don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely vibe with that. I also think that just, you really were like, is it the is it the Hindu or the Muslim? And in my head, I was like, I couldn't pick between them because they both seem like they're interchangeable. So I don't, I don't know. I'll just pick one. Yeah. When you know, it was well, the I mean, British. the other thing I didn't want to ask about is Doctor Nagpal, right? who comes back at the end of this novel and Sam goes and he's like, well, you know, you did it. this was basically sort of. a setup and you got, you got played like a fool and you essentially, you know, led to this slaughter happening. How do you feel about that? Mm. But there's nothing he can do because he's not really like demonstrably guilty of anything. And plus Sam is suspended. That was a weird one. I, I don't know that I was excited about that. Like, that was definitely like a weird scene. I I, I think it was I probably know. for the same reasons that Sam says at the end of the novel, a little obvious that Dr. Nagpal had like had something to do with it, because why wouldn't you go for the you know head of the snake when you went for the head of the snake of every other religious institution? <laughs> Fair enough. You just went for like the random bookworm guy who was kept on the sides, and it's because you were essentially in indirect cahoots yeah, yeah. with the head of the snake. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I think it was fine. Like, I, I think the mystery yeah. was fine in this story. I definitely enjoyed, like, the reveal of, like, we're trying to play both sides against each other so that the British could become the top dog. Yeah. And they definitely foreshadowed that. I took it the opposite direction when I was discussing it last week. But, like, you know, the British aren't even strong enough to to kick these rioters out of town because there's not enough military people. There's traffic officers trying to fight off riots. Yeah, well, the the, the fun thing there, right, is that you have landed exactly on how the British yes. were strong enough to hold back India for so long is because they were fighting each other. There's a quote from Seren's father oh, that yeah. he reminisces on where he says, like, divide and rule. It has always been the British way. That's how they enslaved us, and that is how they keep us enslaved. <laughs> There's a whole conversation, the interrogation that we have with Cyrus Arani, where he's like, every 
conquests that the British have had has been based on the Muslims, like weakening the Hindus. Like this has been a thing historically. Yeah. I am like this. Ge- I don't remember any of the names, but like, I am like this general who was really well regarded by the British. You should be pitting medals on medals on me instead of locking me up in some prison. Yeah. And Sam's like, you've gone crazy, man. He's like, have I, have I gone crazy? <laughs> or is the whole world, Matt? It's a whole thing. It's great. I mean, cause um, obviously yeah. like Cyrus, while this was a rogue agent in quotations that hired him to do this, it was still a British agent who hired him to do these it was things a British plot. in the very building that he is then being interrogated in. Yeah, for sure. Like dramatic irony and the British being like, Oh goodness. No, I wash my hands of this. Yeah. What's the classic out damn spot. It's it's like those, uh, I want to say bond plots where they're like, yeah, we gave this guy a lot of power so he could operate remotely and clandestinely. And then he went off the grid and oh no, here he is with his drone army. Like, okay. (laughs) Thanks. Is that who Cyrus would be if he was in a modern, modern day movie? He'd be the guy with all the drone armies, just bombing people. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. It's a very spy plot. Yeah, and I mean, that's what's special about it, too. Like, when we were talking with Abir about sure. uh, Death in the East, it, it, this is him pushing back against the dissatisfaction that he had with that novel and its very Christie-style structure. You know, like, think about when we were talking with with Anthony Horowitz uh, about his latest novel, A Line to Kill, during our coverage of Magpie Murders. He was talking about how mystery fiction is great because every I is dotted and T crossed when real life just isn't like that. Yes. Well, and that's exactly the difference you see in this book. Yeah, I mean, this book is is the almost the explicit opposite where we're trying to kind of take a top down view of events to the point that we're looking at like a whole city being on fire. Like we're not we're not like fighting to take every stretch of land. You know, this book isn't about those teeny tiny details. It's about the the broader picture and the broader stakes of the whole country potentially being on fire, right? That's what the book is about. That's how it draws its intrigue um, and how it keeps you investing like, wow, this, this could really turn out very poorly for the whole world. That would be bad. Yeah. And like the, the hypocrisy that is present in, in so much of it really like yes. is the point. Yeah, for sure. It's not meant to be a like redeemable character trait that Sam is like just corrupt. Sam is so good. <laughs> he really is. I love that he's like, he's the protagonist, you know, he's the classic like British detective and yet he's also corrupt and racist. Yeah. And even when he's like doing positive stuff, he's just falling into stereotypes and like, his end point, like at the end of the book, he still cares for Siren, but like he clearly hasn't learned anything, whereas Siren has. I think the other thing is, is that this book is so aware of it. Yeah. Like if you read old British spy fiction, there is a lot of this same prejudice that underpins those novels, but it's almost like taken for granted. You know, it's it's just part of how one carries oneself when yeah. traveling in, in these lower class lands as a agent of her majesty. Mm-hmm. But this novel clearly like understands that there is a hypocrisy at the core of that. And Sam has learned to understand that there's yes. a hypocrisy of the core of that, but he doesn't know how to deal yes. with it. And well, his answer is, I'm going to, I'm going to take this guy I don't like and feed him to a gang boss. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not great. Yeah. It, it's not great. It really isn't. But I think that also explains why the mystery can't be clean in the way that, you know, classic fans of golden age detective yep. fiction would want it to be. Mm. And, you know, 
I've enjoyed taking this step away from that because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's like this comfortable blanket that separates us from the way the real world is when we're reading crime fiction that's still about these gritty things. We're still resisting these ideas mm-hmm. about the way the world is, the way that sure. India's police department has ended up with its current reputation for corruption, as we spoke with Vasim Khan at the end of last year. It all makes sense is the point I guess I'm trying to get towards. I mean, yeah, look, I mean, you, I think you put it pretty perfectly there. I don't know that I can speak further to the politics of the book, uh, but I, I will I will say I like that our heroes are not infallible. I like that they're still getting justice beat up. Seren gets exploded and Sand doesn't catch his man, at least not until, you know, the corrupt... British people. Yeah, he has to know. commit one last crime to catch his man. One British sanctioned crime. I was going to say, specifically, he's like, <laughs> he gets the call from the colonel, like, we found him. You have to go arrest him. He's like, sir, I don't, I'm not a legally uh, police officer right now. He's like, has that ever stopped you before? Like, get in there. <laughs> do corruption for me, Sam. Hurry up. I'm not getting out from this desk myself. Well, exactly. Like, do one last act of corruption to, to justify all those other acts of corruption and or like hiding your friend for the the police force. Yeah. Like it's it's such a perfect ending for Sam's character. Anyhow, Herds, what are we covering next week on the show? We have a lovely special book by an Indian author going forward. Uh, we are going to be covering A Dire Isle, Ooh. the second novel in the Harith Athreya uh, series of detective fiction by R.V. Rahman who is quite a, a highly regarded Indian author. He was a, a, in the financial world. He's written a whole bunch of murder mysteries, started off writing some sort of fina- finance-based crimes, like fraudster. Uh-huh. Um, and now he's 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 taken a step back. He's looking a bit more of a, a classic Agatha Christie-esque ex- uh, works. I like it. I like it. I heard a little bit from Avi Rahman on a She Done an episode about Indian crime fiction that just oh, yeah. happened to coincide with ours. That's so crazy. I'll put a link up to that. It's crazy that would happen. Yeah, I'll put a link. You accusing <laughs> Carolyn Crampton of something? Her- no, I wouldn't accuse her of anything. She's lovely. <laughs> I would never. I'll put a link up on the podcast to the She Done It episode if you're curious. And I think we'll we'll make that required reading yeah. for, uh, for, for next week's episode, I think. What chapters are we covering next week, Hertz? We'll be covering chapters one to eight. You're listening to Death of the Reader, your Murder Mystery World Tour. We'll be back with that stretch of A Dire Isle by R.V. Rahman next week on the show. I'm looking forward to that. See you then. Thanks for joining us here on 2SER 107.3.